So last week I invited you uh, to pull out the little blue book that is in, uh, in front of you in the pew, uh, the Bible. And this week, if you've already pulled out the Bible, I would ask you to put it back. Um, we're going to switch up this week, and this is why. Um, do you know that the Bible, the text was, I don't believe, ever meant to be individualized? It was never meant to, uh, to be available for our own personal study and use. And while it's good to have a personalized Bible, it's good to be able to have God's word. Um, our tradition was an oral tradition. It was a tradition handed down from one generation to the next. It was actually uh, when King James uh, was able to acquire the printing press that we got the King James version of the Bible and all the Bibles went out into the land. And so I'm afraid if we take our Bibles this morning and sort of bury our nose in them, we will miss what the original writer of this text is trying to convey to us. There's a rhythm to the text today that I don't want us to miss. There's a refrain, and if we have our face buried in there, we may just say, oh, that's funny, those words show up time and time and time again. No, they're there for a reason. And we're going to turn to the book of Hebrews today, and this is what you need to know about the book of Hebrews. Some people say it's not really a book, it's just one of the longest sermons ever recorded in history. <laughs> Which makes me feel better as a preacher. <laughs> and this is what you need to know. For ten chapters, the author, some people argue that it's the Apostle Paul. Some people say it's not the Apostle Paul. That doesn't matter. For ten chapters, the preacher has been preaching and is reaching a point in the text where the preacher wants to remind us that in God, in Christ, alone, we come to know God's full activity in the world. So uh, listen for the rhythm. Listen for names that you uh, once heard when you were a child and may not have heard in a really long time. Because these names are like reading the role of the Hall of Fame of Faith. Listen now for the word of the Lord. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son. And by faith, Isaac invoked blessings for the future on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his burial. And by faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And by faith, he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as, it, as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? 
And what more shall I say? For time would uh, fail me. Time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and don't even get me started on the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Remind us, O God, that you hover here. You hover in this very sanctuary just as you hovered over the waters of creation. So create afresh and anew this very day. Reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words. And breathe new life into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts. Do something new, O God. Speak to us a word. For we do pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. So uh, if you woke up tomorrow morning and you were driving and you got to the intersection right here at uh, Preston and Walnut Hill and you looked over and Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church no longer existed, it was gone in an instant. What would be missing from our neighborhood? What do you think our neighbors would say uh, was missing tomorrow? If you woke up tomorrow morning, got in your car, drove to the, uh, the intersection right here, Preston and Walnut Hill, you're on your way to get to the tollway to go to work, and Preston Hollow was no longer here, what do you think would be missing from our city? Oh, what do you think would be missing from our world if this church no longer existed tomorrow? Better question. If Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church no longer existed tomorrow, what would be missing from your life? What would be missing from your life? Well, I guess if uh, Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church disappeared tomorrow, um, 142 students would show up on the north end of the campus, uh, students with learning differences. They would uh, show up because they were thinking they were coming to school, but we would no longer have a school, so I guess they would be disappointed. But um, I've met some of the parents. They're really capable. I'm sure that they would pull together with the faculty, and by the end of the week, they would have another place to meet, and they would have a plan on how to build another school. I guess that's probably true of our preschool as well. If Reston Hollow uh, disappeared tomorrow, Families Anonymous wouldn't have a place to meet. They wouldn't have a place to meet right here in Jubilee Hall on Monday evenings. I mean, I'm sure that they could probably find another church to meet in, but let's just be honest. The parking wouldn't be near as convenient. If Preston Hollow disappeared tomorrow, I learned this from Sarah R. this week. Our young people feel like the youth house is the only place in all of God's great creation that they feel like they wholly and fully belong to God. So I guess if Preston Hollow disappeared tomorrow, the youth house would disappear too, and our young people wouldn't have a place where they feel like they fully belong. If Preston Hollow disappeared, I guess folks would have to find another church that has a really extra long runway right here to get married in. <laughs> We'd have to find other places to do memorial services. 
I mean, we'd have to find another building to do Bible studies. I mean, RPW would have to like jump into other PW circles. Our uh, men's breakfast would have to find other men that like to get up at four o'clock in the morning just to have fried eggs. <laughs> and our choir, our wonderful choir, they would have to find somewhere else to sing. You would have to go and make another community half as proud as we are of you. And I don't know what we would do with Bradley and Steve, but I'm sure that they could find a job somewhere. <laughs> and me, I have no idea what I would do. But if Preston Hollow disappeared tomorrow, what would be missing from your life? Do you know that the fastest growing religion, the fastest growing denomination in the United States of America are the nuns? Not the N-U-N-S's, though that would be newsworthy, by the way. <laughs> the N-O-N-E-S's. This is a subsect of our people when polled to uh, identify their religious affiliation. Check the box none, N-O-N-E-S. For this subsect of the population, the church at the corner of Preston and Walnut Hill has disappeared. For this subsect of our population, they have said the institutional church doesn't offer anything to me. In fact, uh, when, when, when polled, the nuns, when they are polled and asked, what are the first words that come to mind when you hear the word church? Do you know what their responses are? Homophobic, hypocritical, judgmental, and insensitive to the needs of others. So, why would anyone miss a church like that? Especially um, if that church, and I want us to be a, really sensitive to this, especially if that church was a place of hurt or harm when that person was a child. But it's not for all people. It is for some, but not for all people. I mean, I have friends, you have friends who grew up in the church. I mean, we were in the same youth group together. They're just totally disinterested in the church. And you know what they're especially disinterested in? The infighting. They tell me all the time, uh, Matthew, I'm sort of tired of the the infighting, the, the battles that go on between whether or not you're allowed to drink coffee in the sanctuary or if you're supposed to finish it before you come in. I'm tired of arguing about whether or not God actually loves all of God's children. I'm tired of having the same old debate on whether or not God loves all of our LGBTQ folks. I don't want to get caught up in that mess. They're tired of the infighting because they see the infighting is standing in the way of the church actually dealing with the suffering of the world. They say it to me, they say it to you. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. They tell me all the time, Matthew, I don't need to come to a church to find God. I can find God on a mountaintop. I can find God standing at the ocean. I can find God pretty easily, Matthew, in a sunrise or a sunset. Do you know I have a group of buddies? who convinced me every time we get together to play golf that they could find 
God more easily on a golf course than they can in any church. They always try to convince me of this on the very first tee box. And it seems like they're right. Because for 18 holes, the God that they found on the golf course, they curse God's name (laughs) for 18 straight holes. I'm sure you have friends who tell you the same. More painfully, I bet you have children or grandkids who tell you that. And it hurts because you did everything right. I mean, you did it right. You raised them in the church. You brought them to Sunday school. You may have even taught Sunday school yourself. You signed them up for vacation Bible school. They went all week. They even stayed for lunch. Then you got them confirmed. Stuck them in the youth house, put them on the van, sent them to a retreat somewhere. Sent them to build houses in rural Appalachia every single summer. You even took some uh, time during the your busy week during your busy schedule, and you would sign up and you would serve with them at the soup kitchen. And they could care less about church. And so there you are, you're sitting, left wondering. Some of you this morning are literally sitting in the pew, left alone, wondering this question. Why aren't they here with me? Why does faith not seem to matter to them? It mattered so much to me and to us. You did everything right. You did everything right. And yet they checked the box nine, which is one way of saying if the church disappeared from this corner, nothing would be missing from my life. And can I just say, I get it. I get it. I mean, critics of the church, it's not like they don't have a leg to stand on. They do. Church isn't perfect. The problem is uh, we judge it against perfection. The reality is uh, the church has never been perfect because the church is made up of imperfect people. For instance, uh, let's go back to the, the, the... those in the Hall of Fame of Faith this morning, the names that we read? Let's remember for a second, they're in the Hall of Fame of Faith and they didn't spend one minute in a church ever in their life. And let's remember, uh, those in the Hall of Fame of Faith, they had some really, really good seasons. I mean, they had some seasons when everything was going right in their life and they were tuned into what God was saying and their lives reflected that faithfulness. On their best days, on their very best days, these were people faithful to God's call in their lives. But on their worst days, these people murdered their siblings, cheated on their spouses, hurt people very close to them by betraying them for the almighty dollar and even power. And that's me just scratching the surface. So I get it when people say to me, why would I want to be involved with a motley crew like that? Why would anyone want to be connected to an institution that claims them in the Hall of Fame? This is what I've come to learn. 
if I don't rush to answer, if I sit with that question for half a second, this is what I come to realize. I come to realize deep down in my own bones that I am capable of the same thing. I'm capable of the good that they represent, but I'm also capable of the bad. We're capable of the very best moments, are we not? We're capable of the very worst moments. But we trust through God that uh, none of us are the very best thing that we've ever done in our life. And none of us are the very worst thing that we've ever done in our lives. And we come to trust that even in the midst of that, that God is working through us, that our lives are connected to a bigger story. And I got to tell you, I wish my friends knew that. And I do want to tell you something. I love my friends, even if they don't love the church. And can I tell you a secret? I think God does too. I just wish they came to know the grace and the mercy extended by an entire community. I wish that they knew what it was like to be loved in community and a place where they could risk vulnerability. I can't tell you what would be missing from your life if Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church disappeared tomorrow. But I can tell you what would be missing from my life. And it's not just my paycheck. This is why church for me in 2019, this is why church for me at 36 years old. Because uh, when I was a kid in Aiken, South Carolina, I went to Millbrook Elementary School. And uh, when I finished the fifth grade, I went to Kennedy Middle School. It was right across the street from Millbrook Elementary. I went right across the street to Kennedy Middle. And when I finished eighth grade, I left Kennedy Middle School and went right across the street to South Aiken High School. And right there, right next to this three-layer cake of schools, was a Baptist church. And I grew up in South Carolina, so that means that that Baptist church is huge. And it had a giant steeple. I mean, one of the largest steeples you've ever seen. I mean, we sort of look like a junior church compared to the steeple on this thing. Got it? And throughout my adolescence, Throughout my adolescence, anytime that I felt alone, anytime I was scared, anytime I felt fear, anytime I was worried or joyous or nervous or uncertain, I got to tell you, I would look to that steeple and I could locate it from any corner of those campuses. I would find that steeple when I felt like I was alone and I would look at it and I would take a deep breath in. And that big old Baptist steeple helped this Presbyterian kid 
remember that I was never alone. On the days where I wasn't clear on who I belonged to or where I fit in, I found that steeple and it helped remind me of who I belonged to. On the very best days of my life, when I felt like everything was going well, I would also look at that steeple and it would remind me that my story was caught up in a bigger story. And I want to be abundantly clear. I don't view that steeple as some sort of a good luck charm. I don't view it as some faint ritual symbol. No, that steeple represented a place that I belonged. It represented what my home church meant to me, what they taught to me, and what I came to know with every fiber of my being. I belong to God, and I am loved by God no matter what. Period. End of conversation. And can I say at its best? At its best, that's what the church is. At its best, the church is a collection of people who are united by a shared experience of God. Did you notice that I didn't say that a church is a collection of people who are united by a shared doctrine? Oh, at our best. The church is a collection of people who are united by a shared experience of God who help to create a place for all of God's children to belong and to know that they are loved equally, period, end of story. It's a place where every person's experience of the divine is welcomed equally. That's the church at her best. And you and I both know we're not always at our best. But that's where faith comes in. You heard me preach Paul's words when I read the text this morning. By faith, Moses. By faith, Gideon. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. You know, I could tell a similar story. I could tell a similar story of imperfect people who love a perfect God. My version would go something like this. By faith, the church is 30 days of casseroles. By faith, the church is 30 days of casserole, some concoction of cream of mushroom soup for 30 days in a row that shows up right there on the doorstep of a young couple who visited the church one time. They have no idea how the church found out that they had had a baby, but there it is. By faith, casseroles, feeding and nourishing and caring for that couple. By faith, the church, she takes form of a small group who has surrounded you for the last years of your life. You can't even remember how long it's been. You've shared with them your deepest joys and your greatest struggles, and you've let them know that you're in a soul-sucking career and it's time to get out. You didn't know when a new job would come or if it would even come. You were praying for a promotion or whatever you could take, and then you found out on Friday. It came in. You got the new job. They're the first people that you call. They're the folks who rejoice with you, but they also help you to remember that that achievement is not by your own doing. 
and that you're the same person today that you were yesterday, and you're going to be the same person on Monday when your title finally changes. By faith, there it is. It appears. It's a prayer blanket. You were out of the room when it arrived. You were receiving your third chemo treatment of the week. And frankly, you came back in the room and you've never felt less alive in your entire life. There's a note right there. It says, uh, our community, your church, is praying for you. And you know that the 150 people who are praying for you actually don't know who you are. But it doesn't matter. Because your name's on an email somewhere, and you belong to them, and therefore they're going to pray for you. Oh, the fa by faith, the church shows up on distant shores of developing nations. You got on a trip, and you thought you were going to go serve. Uh-uh. You realize very quickly you are there to be served. It catches you completely off guard. I mean, you're an American. You're there to produce something, and then it happens. Someone opens up their home. They, uh, they set a feast at the table. It's fit for royalty. They heard you were coming, so they sent off and killed the fatted calf. For little old you. It's a sign of love wrapped in hospitality. And that meal causes you to question everything that you have held dear for your entire life. And what you experience at that table can transcend any argument or any divide that you have ever encountered on the planet. And it's right there by faith. Church finds you. You've lost the love of your life. Forty years of marriage. Or maybe you've lost a parent. Or even worse, maybe you lost a child. And your grief numbs every part of your body and every part of your life. And rightfully so. There's a knock at the door. You can't even remember the person's name, but they're there to talk, they say. All you know is they keep showing up. And they assure you that they're more comfortable with any preconceived setback that you may have. And they are far more comfortable than you are with your own tears. By faith, you come to know in a new way what it means to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and come to know that thou art with thee. And don't you even get me started on the rest. For time would fail me to tell you the church. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's who we are. And don't you ever forget it. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Each members of the body. And our imperfect stories are part of a bigger story 
Our imperfect stories are part of God's story. And friends, we cannot do faith or this life alone. So that's why church for me in 2019, that's why church for me at the age of 36. Why church for you? Why are you here today? As you seek to answer that question in your life, I want to remind you to trust something. Trust that when you look at your life and you think it doesn't look anything but ordinary, there are other people that look at your life and view it as beautiful. Please trust this, that when you look at your life and all you can see is that it is slightly to moderately broken, that there are people who look at you and they claim you and they say, you belong to me because you belong to God. So friends, as you seek to answer this question for yourself, trust that you belong to God and seek to live like you belong to every person you meet beyond these walls. For in the words of Sarah Johnson, friends, it's all that easy. It's all that hard. Let us pray. Thank you for the gift of this life, oh God. Thank you for the gift of the church. May we come to live more fully so we can reflect your love to the whole world. Amen.